Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to Stream Close Up. I'm your host, Brian Laffin, here with my producer, Jose Fernandez Alameda, and our guest today is Eric Hueldeberg. Eric is a writer and director of film and TV who's worked in Hollywood, and his most recent project is the Norwegian TV phenomenon Occupied, where he is credited as co creator. Among other things, he brought you the film Insomnia not once, but twice. Uh, the original version in 1997, starring Stellan Huarsgård, was remade later by the great Christopher Nolan and featuring Al Pacino, Hilary Swank, and Robin Williams in key roles, among others. We'll talk about that experience, uh, a number of other projects that Eric has been responsible for, and dive in on Occupied. Uh, you may or may not remember the stir that it caused when it was first released two, two and a half years ago. Uh, touched such a nerve that the Russian government felt compelled to make a press release through the embassy in Oslo, where they said, Although the creators of the TV series were at pains to stress that the plot is fictitious and allegedly has nothing to do with reality, the film shows quite specific countries, and Russia, unfortunately, was given the role of an aggressor. It is certainly regretful. That in the year when the 70th anniversary of the victory of the Second World War is celebrated, that the series creators decided to scare Norwegian viewers with non existing threats from the East in the worst Cold War traditions. We'll ask Eric if that was his intention to scare Norwegian viewers. I don't quite think so. I think they were out to entertain and provoke some thoughts. Uh, we'll find out. In for his stream close up, Eric Hueldeberg. Skoldeberg, welcome to Stream Close Up. Joining us today to talk about the phenomenon that is Occupirat in its second season, currently on Via Play. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Eric is joining us remotely. We're going Stockholm to Oslo, Oslo to Stockholm. This is a new experience for the pod.、Uh, I don't know if you've done this before, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for us.、Uh, have, Eric fact, is.、Yeah. You have, in fact. Okay,、mm. good. You, maybe you can guide me a little bit here.、Mm. Um, Eric is credited as the creator, writer, and director of the phenomenon that is Occupirat.、Um, I want to talk about that. We're into season two right now. I also want to get a little bit into your background. But before we go any further, can you tell people what it means to be a creator on a project like this?、Uh, it's similar to what the Americans call a showrunner.、Uh, it means that I've Been involved in nearly every 
creative decision regarding uh, the show. So it means that I'm involved from the very beginning when we sort of create the story and characters uh, up until uh, the end when you do the sound mix and gone through all the editing and everything. And and how does the project come to life? It's based on a book by Joe Nesby. Are, are you scanning material, looking for things to adapt all the time, or does it match up with something that you have in mind to begin with? No, this one is um, it's not, it's actually uh, a common misunderstanding that that it's a book of Joe Nesby. It's not. It's it's you had an idea. Several years ago, this is this, we're talking 2007. Um, he had this idea about what if uh, Russia came and there was a silk occupation of Norway, how would we react? Um, I was contacted later on. Actually, first time I read about it was in the papers, and I thought, oh, that's... So, so hang on, how does he express this idea? Is he sketching a screenplay, or is he outlining a book, or is he just talking about it? He is, um, he's pitched this idea to Yellowbird Sweden, whom he's got a relationship through uh, a film and I, I guess maybe other things as well, but there's this film called Headhunter, uh, which is based on a book, uh, which was produced by a Yellowbird and Marianne Gray, the uh, producer at Yellowbird. So he's pitched it to Yellowbird and they uh, were really intrigued by this idea. Um, they had worked on it for a while um, before I was contacted. I was um, occupied with doing uh, <laughs> doing uh, several features uh, at the time and uh, I read about it in the paper and I thought this is an original idea. I get pitched several ideas uh, uh, quite often but this one stood out for me even reading about it in the paper and I thought oh that that must be something to be working on uh, then I probably didn't think too much about it because I was too uh, too involved in the in the feature but the producers got in touch while I was working and I immediately said, "Yeah, I'd be interested to uh, to talk to you or, and and to sort of look into this idea." And then I think it was a coincidence, but at the time uh, when I got involved, the project was sort of uh, moved from the state uh, channel NRK here in Norway. They um, they moved out of the project for reasons I'm not sure of. Uh, so the whole project was rebooted. And at that point, uh, I got involved with a group of writers. And we, you had, he had this basic idea that, that what would you do? Uh, and I think he was particularly interested in the majority of people who don't take two arms if their uh, if their country becomes occupied, um, either fr either frozen by fear or just not knowing what they can do to influence things, or I think there's for many different reasons. I think there's several several aspects. Statistically, if you look at any occupation, ninety percent of the people would not take two arms. Um, they these are the people who generally are not. Uh, depicted in 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 movies because uh, we have we are we are fixated on this hero image of yeah people. where's the action yeah 
so uh, but he was interested in the, the other 90% uh, and so was I so that was our common ground um, and we were sort of thinking I think there are several reasons why you wouldn't take to arms I think it, it plays with the, you don't know this an uncertain situation you don't know the outcome and you try to protect your closest values which is normally your family your job um, uh, income and just sort of some kind of view of, of the future and, and how to survive. Mm. You guys address this in so many different like levels in the story. You have the, you know, the p political party lines, you have the military, you have the sort of family business people, the media, the police, everyone with these competing balancing interests, trying to figure out where their place is in this and, making decisions independent of each other, but they'll impact each other. It's a really interesting uh, mesh of storylines and the decisions that people have to make about how they're going to engage, whether they're going to fight or capitulate. Mm -hmm. um, before we go deeper into Akipirat, you said the producers reached out to you. There's obviously a reason they reached out for you. You have quite a track record as a writer and director in feature films before you moved over to work with Akipirat and other TV projects. Can we talk a little bit about some of those? Yes, please. I mean, I guess your breakthrough was Insomnia in 1977 with Stellan Skarsgård in the leading role there. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that project came together? Because I think it's interesting that it's had sort of two lives. Mm -hmm. It... Um, I attended film school in England. Uh, there was no film school in Norway at the time. This was early 90s. And I met a guy who didn't attend my school, but attended a different film school in London. Uh, he was a screenwriter. He was called Nikolai Frobenius. He, he was a fellow Norwegian. And we used to hang out. And uh, he told me he had this idea and there might be someone in Norway interested in developing it. And so we got together and we sort of worked on this story for, I guess, for years, which is... Which so is so not... the evolution of insomnia is from your days in film school? Yes, definitely. Okay. And I spent film school <laughs> looking at classic movies more more than sort of attending the, 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 the sort of... It, <laughs> it was a film school which didn't have so much of a curriculum in, in a traditional sense, at least that's how I remember it. Uh, but uh, but I, I sort of spent time sort of thinking about what, what, what kind of preferences I, I, what I liked and didn't like. And I was drawn to thrillers and character-driven thrillers, you know, and uh, so much of that influence, you know, it came, came into insomnia as we developed it. We spent probably three or four years, the last two years of my film school and the first year after I finished. Uh, but compared to most stu film students, I was lucky because within... Two years we were in production. Um, yeah, I was going to say that's a quick transition, actually, from yeah. graduating to getting something on the screen. Yeah, I, I, I felt uh, privileged in, uh, because someone trusted me enough to, to, to do that. Uh, and then the casting process and how Stellan got involved, it was, mm, it was uh, I couldn't find the right cast <laughs> here in, in, in Norway. And, and then... There was a colleague of mine, a senior colleague, who was sort of helping me out, who said he'd worked with Stellan once. And I think I was just, again, lucky because there was a project which Stellan had at the time which fell through. Uh, so he was available. 
my big job was to sort of convince him this was a good uh, idea. You know, so I, I flew to Stockholm. We had several conversations, and and uh, I, the idea must have grown on him, or maybe I, I was just. Uh, uh, for some reason, I can't really explain. Able to to uh, to convince him, but um, that was probably the best thing which which happened to the, the, the in the whole process because uh, he was a very very constructive, uh, demanding uh, lead actor who who and and our collaboration on that project was 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 very important to to the result. Probably very nice to have that input as a debut filmmaker. Maybe a little less so these days on the set. It's at the time. I, I, I at the time it happened. I just thought, well, this is. I, I had this kind of youthful arrogance. You know, I thought this is what it's supposed to be like. But looking back on it, I think I was really lucky with with uh, working with Stellan for my first film. I, I, I realized that. Yes. And Insomnia was well-received. It was commercially viable. It was uh, well-received by the critics. Mm -hmm. And it ends up getting a remake in the hands of Christopher Nolan, of all people. How does that come to pass? Did he discover the film? Were you guys out selling your script? Was someone peddling this? No, I think um, uh, Insomnia went to Cannes, not in the main competition, but one of the side competitions. Uh, someone, a critic in Variety, uh, had a sort of preview of it before, and, and he probably took pride in sort of discovering this film. So he wrote a sort of uh, uh, an, an extremely sort of uh, positive review, which threw me into a world I had no idea of, you know, of the world of agents and, you know, uh, of Hollywood taking an in, taking an interest, you know, and, um, um, can I ask how quickly does that unfold? Is that likely on site there that week people start reaching out to you or does it sort of slowly happen after the festival itself? A bit of both actually that there are people calling me that day you know people flying in from LA that day you know what, uh, uh, insisting on meeting me I'm, I'm I'm sort of from the countryside I, I, I tend to get a little bit overwhelmed I, I remember I did you know so I so I I, 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 I didn't jump on any first opportunities uh, I was more sort of thinking well, what is this but um, but one of the side effects was that uh, the remake was sold not to Warner Brothers in the first place, but to Steven Soderbergh's company. Uh, wow. He had a company. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's if if he's still running that same company. But uh, they bought the rights. Now it doesn't necessarily. There's a lot of remake rights which get sold. There's only a, and nothing a, happens. Yeah, often it doesn't happen. You know, and uh, and I don't think they had a clear idea in in the first place exactly what they wanted to do with it. I was approached as well I, I, in the early, would I be interested? And, and, I, and I said, no, I don't want to do the same film twice. I don't want to start out doing the same film twice. Um, and then I went to the States and, and did another film. And, and then I, I heard of uh, Christopher Nolan, who was a young filmmaker at the time. I'd seen his two first films. I thought they were great. Is that, is that around the time of Memento? Yeah, or? exactly. Okay. Just after Memento. And uh, uh, I heard he, he he had an interest and I thought that was a good idea. That sounded 
good to me. But I still held back a bit. I thought, well, normally remakes don't necessarily come off, you know, more often than not. Uh, so, and then Christopher Nolan, he was very polite. He would, he would sort of mail or through his producer, he would mail and sort of inform, invite me to the set. I, 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 I never grabbed that opportunity, but, but he, they also showed me the film as soon as it, before it was released. And, uh, so you were sort of felt included at least in the process somehow, or yeah, invited. They, they they were sort of they kept me involved in in to on some at least they were polite uh, but, enough to do you know the 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 and it was strange to see a remake because it was kind of similar, but obviously it had a lot more resources and thrown at it they they done some changes to the script some which clarifies the plot in the early parts uh, um some in the later parts i felt oh, i like my original better but all in all i thought it was a it was a good outcome to to uh, because it, it it i still felt it was a good remake I think there's some interesting casting there, particularly Robin Williams sort of playing the evil role. I like when he goes down that dark path. Yeah. But it must be an odd sensation sort of to have done the blueprint and then sort of turn it over and let someone else come back with their vision of it. I guess there was some comfort that it was someone of the character of Christopher Nolan, who's a writer himself. Mm -hmm. I think he had the clarity to see the story and see how it should work, you know, uh, uh, so he has that storyteller instinct, you know. Um, obviously, there's a screenwriter who's adapted it, you know. But I, I trust that he was involved, and 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 the production company with Steven Soderbergh was was involved too. So, so it it made it. I think that's part of why it became successful. Interesting. So, you on the back of the success of your version of Insomnia, you end up starting to work in the States. You do kind of reference to your next film, uh, yes. Prozac Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, are you relocating to Hollywood at this point, or how does this go? No, I'm um, staying in a hotel for way too long. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, I was never, I never bought into the, I didn't start making films because I wanted to go to Hollywood. Uh, so I was kind of, um, on the other hand, I looked for opportunities and they have the resources and all, uh, I was, I was looking to develop my own project in Hollywood, uh, and it proved more difficult than I had thought when, it, when, the, when Insomnia first was successful because it proved cast dependent this project i was working who's with. who's attached to this project yeah who's attached what's the, who's the star uh we maybe because it wasn't immediately commercial the, the project i was working on at the time but i got tired of chasing these stars the same actors which everyone else is chasing um and at some point during that process uh, one of the production companies we're in conversation with, called Millennium, turns and or asks if I'd be interested in doing um, an adaptation of the book Prozac Nation with Christina Ricci playing the lead, and she was also attached as a producer. 
Were you familiar with the book when they approached you, or was it a new concept for you? It was new. I was familiar with Christina Ricci's work. I, 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 I really, really liked her, some of her films and the way she performed in it. Um, I, I checked around, and, and, and people who'd read the book said very complimentary things about it. So I got on the plane, which is a long flight, obviously, and read the book on the plane over, met Christina Ricci, um, met her twice, and then I didn't, and and I had, had good meetings with her, but I, I was still aware, you know, there was there were, there were several directors she was supposed to meet. I think on my plane, on my trip back, she must have made her decision or sort of, uh, or or expressed her pref- preferences because. When I got back, there was lots of phone calls, you know, uh, going. Uh, and when Hollywood wants something, they they can be very very persuasive. There was so there was very few catches, you know. They they didn't really have a, a script, and they and and they had a, a sort of pocket. They wanted to go into produ- into shooting in within ten weeks or so, which to me felt in in sort of Scandinavian model felt reckless. Uh, so I, so we had lots of discussions, but I ended up saying yes. So I think we we got it pushed, but but it, but it was still sort of sixteen weeks or so from the moment saying yes to sort of writing it and sort of on set. Um, <laughs> from looking at the book the first time to getting things under production. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so it, it it was super quick. Um, and in it's the an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting dynamic that you describe there, though, where, you know, sometimes you're out chasing talent. And in this case, the talent now is looking for the director Mm -hmm. uh, in Prozac Nation's case. So was that a positive experience for you overall? I mean, I guess it wasn't the hugest film, but it's very well respected. It's um, it was a. Shooting the film, working with actors like uh, like Christina and and Jessica Lang, who got on board and. and Jonathan Rhys Myers, um, Michelle Williams, you know, it, it was the opposite of what I what I experienced so far. Because uh, for some reason, I think th- probably to do with the subject matter, a lot of these stars which I had been chasing before were actually sort of begging to be part of this <laughs> this project. Um, so it was more a question of uh, be careful you don't overcast it than than the other way around. Um, I loved I loved the process of shooting it and and all it's um, it the the more the frustrating part came later on because um, I learned quite a lot of I learned a lot of things on that project it it's it it wasn't it it wasn't a traditional it could never have been a traditional sort of uh, story if you were to sort of be honest to the book you know and 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 make an honest adaptation and uh and stay loyal to the fans of the book and all that which was part of my agenda uh it's to do with depression which which also is um is is not commercial in of itself you know to difficult subject yeah yeah but um so in a way it felt like um in post-production i ran into a very different world from what i was used to here in, in scandinavia where a lot of people had lots to say and we were testing it and we were 
trying it out in different ways and it was hard to hold it together um, and I think probably there was a problem with people who had invested in it wasn't quite sure what they had invested in they had invested in a a, a book which was a, which was a sort of bestseller but exactly what a book was about they but they they'd never read it you know so they invested <laughs> in some stars and a best selling book um never mind the subject matter so um so it it was a struggle and uh, at the time when it was released and it, it even had problems being released it, it it was um it wasn't well received by the critics either who the same critics who loved uh, insomnia uh so it's <laughs> so that sort of made for sort of a mixed uh, experience all in all but looking back on it it's a film which is still running on various platforms and uh and actually has has meant quite a lot to 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 some people who've experienced this thing of of depression which is well as common today as it was in 2000 so um so i'd say but it's probably my least commercial film i went to hollywood to do which wasn't a a, a great career move uh for sure very interesting mm-hmm very interesting. And so, yeah, so you go to Hollywood, you say your least commercial film, then you decide to go back to Norway, or do you look at other Hollywood alternatives, or do you, you know, you, you look at anywhere else in the world, or is it a, I, is it a decision? I'm, I had a girlfriend here, so, uh, so, so we went, uh, I was a bit torn, of course, because staying in Hollywood, I would have there's just this quicker turnaround you know if if you you know i was offered other projects none which was extremely interesting to me but if i'd stayed around i would have been able to uh to, to find them but um but apart from sort of making films i wasn't i thought i thought um, la felt a bit like sort of living uh you're in a time zone where none of your friends are awake when you're finished Ugh. work. So it, it yeah. felt sort of... Um, uh, I, I've been there. The phenomenon of watching football kickoffs at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning is a little tough to get your head around. Yeah, well, you have to get up even earlier if, if it's an early kickoff, yes. That's for sure. So it, it uh, I didn't... I, I wasn't sort of... The year I spent there, I didn't feel like happy i didn't feel like sort of a full life but uh it probably would have come but it, but it was there was decisions which made made me with to do with with girlfriend then i got went back i, I sort of worked on the developed a few projects but got kids and then i just decided i'm gonna spend 10 years in scandinavia with my kids because I don't want to be one of those sort of seamen type of fathers who sort of mm -hmm. go away. If you direct something, especially if you're involved in this, in the screenwriting and everything, you, you, you'll, you'll be away for minimum six months. Uh, and I didn't really want that kind of life. So, I, so I, I, I made it clear to sort of all agents and, and everyone, you know, I'm, I'm actually going <laughs> to drop out for, for, and, and stay in Scandinavia and try and work on interesting stuff here. Now, the 10 years have gone now, so the, the kids are, you know, well, my youngest one is 10. 
So I've said to myself, well, maybe I'll consider it again, you know, but um, it's, yeah, it, the whole industry has changed. So I'll just see if, if, if I'm going to go it back seems to, to be an interesting time. It seems to be a very interesting time to be a creator here in this Scandinavian Nordic territories these days with all these new opportunities for distribution that are popping up. During that 10 years, so you said you had a couple of projects that you tried to develop, was one of those Nokas? Yes, that was, I think, my fourth feature film. It's based on the biggest robbery in Norway. And How it, long was that in your mind? How did, is it as soon as the robbery hits the news, you start taking notes, or how does that evolve? No, I was involved in a very sort of personal drama at the time of the, of the robbery, so I, it, I didn't pay much attention to it at the time. Uh, but um, but three years later, two three years later, a producer and a screenwriter approaches me. They have this idea. It's a very sort of simple uh, idea of sort of tracking the the robbery um, on the morning when it takes place. Uh, it's uh, very historically accurate. I take it the whole thing. Yes, it it. I think I can't say whether that was part of the idea, but but when I was pitched that project, I immediately got a clear vision of how that could be done. Uh, and we and yes, it 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 is. We started approaching everyone who was involved in the robbery, police, you know, victim, you know, bank uh, uh, assistants, uh, robbers, you know. Uh, Anyone who'd be willing to speak to us. Uh, and then we started cross-referencing these conversations to try and figure out <laughs> the truth. Uh, it must have, you know, it'd been through the court case, uh, but people have their agenda in court cases. And, and the press had sort of uh, created a mythology around this around yeah. this robbery uh, maybe because it's been, maybe because the robbers themselves were so inspired by by heat the movie by michael matt we, uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the swedish actor dragomir mirsic he's in um snob cash yeah, among yeah, other things yeah, yeah. yeah we had him up here recently and you know he he's got that background he's a bank robber and uh -huh. it was sort of romanticized for a period here in sweden and uh, he's got a story to tell. Maybe you want to hook up with him and do his story since you have this experience. But sorry to interrupt. Oh, well, that is interesting. It was it was a great experience to do this film. I decided to do it with non-actors because there wasn't really a lead. There was more to do with just track this robbery and see how everything influenced, every decision influenced the other and how mistakes can be fatal, you know, because there's always mistakes in these kind of things. Uh uh, Otherwise, we wouldn't know about the story. Yeah, well, probably. So it, it, yeah. it's it's uh, so it's that's the me mechanism we, we were looking for. And uh, I'm working with non-actors. It took a long time to cast them because I I needed to with non-actors. You got to you 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 what you see in audition and what is basically more or less what you're going to get so you have to be sure but if you find the right people they have this authenticity and they can inform me about how things would be done in a different way to what you would do uh, 
I just felt like it, it was a film I, I didn't want to be standing with an actor, me and an actor, and trying to figure out how ex- all the sort of details because I wanted I, I wanted sort of an authenticity and I wanted wanted to, to just feel right down to the down to the detail of how a robbery would take place. And, and interesting, but th- mm-hmm. there must be some trade-off though on set, not having that sort of professionalism that sort of just greases the wheels and keeps things moving smoothly. So, were there challenges working with these non-professionals? Um, it was challenging when when we went from improvisation because I collected a group, which, like the police, were were, were policemen or or former policemen or f- police in their family. You know, they they had police in their blood basically and it's hard to talk about uh, the robbers because you know uh, but I went into sort of criminal um, uh, groups and gangs you know trying to cast you know uh, I you know I can't say that you know the cast of itself is, is criminal so it, 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 it but it, but but some of them definitely had friends or, or knowledge about this mm-hmm. you know so um so the and I had to find people who were who were sort of able to do it the way kids would do, you know, able to play and sort of lose themselves in the game of sort of an improvisation. So they they might not know their way around a set, but they know the story and they're in it. They're there so that they can portray it for you in a different way. They have a they know their characters and they move like their characters, and they have they have knowledge of of exactly what a policeman would do or a bank assistant you know the, the tricky part is when you give them lines because mm, it, it just immediately when I gave them line it, it started feeling uh, they lost they lost their um, the, the very quality I sort of picked uh, the reason I picked them so so I, I had to go through a long process to sort of learn them how to deal with lines uh, so obviously yeah there, there were we had challenges but I'd say once we got to the shoot, it was like a dream. They, they, they. I didn't feel any of that kind of. Um, it it felt felt very smooth shooting it for sure. But we spent a long time preparing it. Interesting process. Mm. Oh, it was a great process, process actually. And and I, you know, I was working more like an investigative journalist, and and I got in touch with lots of people through that process, which 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 learned me a lot of things. Yes. And following on that, you took on another historic story, the story of the expansion of the Norwegian oil fields and the divers who led the way to enable all of that. What led you to make Pioneer? It was, um, to me, it was, I grew up in the 70s in Norway. We were, we were, we were not a rich country. We were the outskirts of Europe. We, we sort of, we weren't poor. In, in 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 sort of, but we were we were still sort of um, a, a sort of working class culture, you know, sort of. And then through the eighties and nineties, Norway became so rich, and I just um, felt like oh, that changed everything. Uh, and I sort of felt like uh, I had a tagline saying, "What what does it what does it cost?" <laughs> <laughs> to, to become rich, ah, okay. uh, and 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 you know what really emphasized this is the North Sea divers who who in in order to prove that you could actually uh, 
make use of these oil fields they'd found out in the North Sea in, in the 70s. They had to prove that they could they could uh, lay the, the pipelines, you know, and 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 they had to prove that divers could operate on depths which had not previously been done. Uh, this became so important for the nation that uh, bureaucrats, politicians, even scientists and doctors, you know, were willing to sort of manipulate the truth about uh, the risk or what, what, no, what you go almost through. Almost uh, experiment with human guinea pigs. Yeah. Uh, and and the the North Sea drivers themselves, they were more like sort of um, adrenaline seekers, you know, they, inspired by the astronauts ten years earlier, you know, and, and stuff like that. They they were willing to to push the limits. They didn't think far ahead. Um, but what they experienced when they when they went into these experiments. Uh, is they started hallucinating they, they they started making mistakes they wouldn't have done before and 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 that whole story which is which which is true and they and actually the North Sea diver had had been suing Norwegian states for years and years and years uh without any without getting the compensation they craved for so that that was part of why so we constructed a story based on several of these of 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 these incidents it's it's not it's not it's not it doesn't have the same uh truthful sort of um it's more of a fictional work pioneers mm. than, than less Lucas. of a journalistic exploration yeah so uh so it's a different project can, but uh but can, we can i can i ask yeah. there must be some particular challenges filming underwater are you a diver is this something that's interesting to you personally oh, or no i'm afraid of water i i, I was never oh, uh per perfect project yeah. uh, <laughs> but i had to i always do these things you know i i i i went out on 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 a dive you know i went into these uh, uh what do you call it compression cham chambers you know where, where you sort of where, where you sort of um adjust your body to a different uh, environment uh, so i went through all these things and uh, just to to get a sense of what 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 it feels both mentally and physically and everything um shooting it was tricky because the only film the only film i really admired for, of of the of of the sort of underwater films was was the abyss which uh which oh, that's a, beautiful yeah. those underwater scenes yeah <laughs> it, it's i think it's because it had such depth of of sight you could it was clear water which is normally not what you get uh and we had of course we don't have a budget anywhere near the abyss and so um so we did a lot of research and we ended up in on iceland on, on a, uh there's like this glacier and an underwater water from the glacier, which is which is sort of filtered by lava sand, uh, and it comes into a, a, a crevice. And we shoot it, we, we shot shot it there because they would guarantee us clear water. Uh, and then we used some VFX to 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 enlarge the image some places. Um, but I've had. Those we got a lot of attention, also from the states, about how did we manage to make p 
pioneer for that kind of budget and those underwater sea sequences. Uh, so, you know, we did something right in that, in that respect. Well, congratulations. And I guess this, this starts to get you into the issue of oil and politics, which you'll revisit a little bit later in Akipirat. Yeah, it's um, oil, well, petroleum, you know, gas oil is, mm. is, is so ingrained in Norwegian culture by now that, you know, any work, even, you know, it, if in the cultural field like I am, you know, if you think about it, you know that most of the money which the state-funded part of, of 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 film industry in Norway is is stems from our from our <laughs> from our uh, oil uh, because it's it's because the state actually sort of takes most of the money you know and then they distribute it in various ways so um, so it feels it just felt relevant in in many ways you know to 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 stick with with that um, but. But uh, it must be said, occupied is 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 more to do with with how you deal with the uh, um, how your democracy work and what you're able to or what you're willing to sacrifice if some of these rights were taken from you uh, mm. and how you react, you know. So. So that, so it had a definitely a very different perspective uh, upon Norway as an oil nation. There's so many different paths you can take to react, and you put so many of your different characters down those paths. I don't know. As we're recording this, we're in the middle of season two on Via Play, so I don't know what kind of rules we want to have regarding spoilers. Uh, season one feels like it's been out there. We can talk openly about maybe a little carefully around season two. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask, though, before we get into the details of the show, you talked earlier about your experience on Prozac Nation and sort of not having control end-to-end post-production, a lot of people having ideas who maybe don't even understand what the content is all about. What's it like to be the showrunner on a TV show? Do you own everything that happens? You said that you were part of it from concept to post-production is it you who actually has control or is it a collaborative effort or how does that work on set it's a collaborative effort the producers are definitely involved as well there's uh, a good Nihumerwald on the Norwegian side and, and Marianne Gray Swedish side um, I'm co-creator with um, with uh, Karianne Lund, who's who's the main writer, I work with together with her and several other writers, you know. Um, and then you have on Occupied, we have several different directors. I've directed, well, all in all, I've directed five episodes in season one and two. Uh, but we have have other directors who who get involved. Um, it's a different experience for me being a creator than than being a, a director on on my features because it's such a big group of creative talent uh, which in a way I'm the well I guess you know the leader of uh, and but uh, being a, a, a creator I'm I know 
how other creators and directors, you know, writers feel, and and and, and maybe it even that it's different from person to person. But you know, it it's it's the sense that you 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 need to feel a freedom, but at the same time, a project like Occupied, uh, it it needs to have. It also needs to have some some uh, guidelines and, and a framework, you know, uh, to create a singular universe. I was going to ask, how do you maintain sort of, I mean, you have simple things like color palettes that have to be adhered to, but somehow you have to maintain this red thread and it must be a little bit of a challenge to hand it off from director to director and say, come back with your vision, but make it look like everything else. Yes, it is. It's and it's not like in the states. When I hear colleagues in the states, I, I get a sense that they have a, a, a more sort of sorted process. You know, we we uh, we don't have that rich sort of tradition of of doing this. So so we we have to somehow find our way in, in dealing with it. I think directors coming in most of the directors we used on occupied have been featured directors um so it's been a relatively new experience to quite a few of these directors uh they have to get used to uh, a, a feeling of being censored at at certain points you know or or uh, or being undercut you know and and or or you have you you will have um as a director, you 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 need. I think most good directors are somewhat extremely devoted to their projects. You know, I think that's part of that almost kind of um, possessive madness you 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 you, mm-hmm. you 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 have. You know, to to go through it, with it and sort of force your will through it all and 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 remain creative. But within a TV show like Occupied. That has to be. In some ways, it's part of my job to main to, to maintain their original sort of um, <laughs> temperament, you know, in 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 their approach. And at the the reason you brought them to the project in the first place, exactly. And then at the same time, uh, guide them. And sometimes uh, I have to come into sort of. Uh, of course, it's 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 what producers do as well. But I'll have to come in and sort of say, I think that's a great idea, but it doesn't fit into Occupied. Whereas mm. other times, and part of the privilege of doing this with other directors and colleagues is that they will come with ideas which I wouldn't have come up with, uh, and they will expand the universe in ways which is actually healthy for the project. But finding that balance is, of course, very difficult. Yeah, keeping control but allowing some other influences in. Tough, tough balance in lots of different industries. Mm. So, you made this. You made this as one of, at the time, biggest productions in Norwegian TV history. Uh, where does that money go? Is it special effects? Is it all the military uh, actions? I mean, what, what is what is where where's the overhead in this? Uh, a budget to me is almost like a headline in the paper. It, it there's never enough. It's it's basically the any project I've done. You is always you always struggling to figure out, especially in Scandinavia, because well, like occupied, we are on 
we are now on the international arena, you know, with Occupy because it's it's basically being trans transmitted, you know, or, or, or seen in a, most parts of the world. Uh, so we're compared with much bigger budgets, but that's not what's on an audience's mind when they see it. Uh, so we have to be very creative in in how we use money. The the one of the biggest budget things is is says more about previously the national TV channel have not had have not shown the real budgets you know when they've done dramas uh, so it but i would i would guess that their 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 per minute drama you know budget would be just as high it's so so it's it's not like so it was a shock headline and to a certain extent yeah and it, it's what you do anything to get attention when you have a new mm. series you know any ed- headline will do uh so i i that's not to say we we it it's still a it's still a big drama production in Norway for sure lots of people involved and all but it's but uh but immediately when i was told about the idea and it was science fiction one of the things i thought was well it's got to be the science fiction of uh What's just around the corner, you know, like uh, like um, <laughs> the science fiction of the tomorrow, cho- the, in a sense. The choice, the, the choice of automobiles that you use, for example, that are just cutting edge ish now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see a lot of details like that. Yeah, so it, it's it, because I didn't want. I thought if we're gonna get into sort of creating a science fiction universe, let's say like uh, like Blade Runner, you know, uh, we would run out of money. To, to to you know it, it it just wouldn't be feasible i think within that budget I, 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 in giving this project i don't think that would resonate with people i mean it's sort of seeing civilians that might be like myself that engage me in this thing and also politicians that might be representing me here thinking okay what would they be doing in this situation would they be playing the same games or not exactly that's uh, that that was our interest you know to mirror our society and say oh what would you do and and how would how would politicians react and how would judges react and 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 how did they react in 19 in the 1940s when it happened here here in right. Norway and in most european countries uh and and that was that was the interesting aspects and i think that's part of why it's been very successful is especially going abroad for me like if i go to i recently went to prague and 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 they were very <laughs> uh, i was interviewed by different TV channels, and you know they 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 were very engaged by it, but but of course because uh, Czech Republic had been occupied by Russia, you know they they so they they had a, a different angle to to what we would have here in Norway. We have a sort of safe distance that's maybe giving us a false sense of security to it here, still in Scandinavia. Um, the reaction to season one, you say it's been, it's got a footprint that's gone around the world. You poked the sleeping bear, I guess, to use a bad pun. The Russian government actually reacted to season one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, saying that they thought they were being unfairly portrayed as the bad guy. You always have to have a bad guy in a, this kind of a drama. Mm-hmm. It could have been anyone, mm-hmm. but it is the Russians and sort of. Life has imitated art. Art has imitated life over the course of Occupy mm. 
has that influenced what you've done for season two or do you just continue with your plan for the story or do you take into account what's happening in the world I'm a I'm a news junkie and I've become more of a news junkie working on occupied for sure so it it but um but it's narrow-sided by the by any sort of Russian official who, who came out with the with, with the early criticism is that it's it's I've explained this several times on different interviews that you know we were we we looked at lots of different international conflicts and how the powers that be would would try and manipulate and sort of uh, and and sort of um fabricate the truth or 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 doctor it in different ways you know to suit their narrative um uh, so it 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 it's not it's not a our aim isn't particularly to criticize the russian regime as of now uh, um i can understand there's there's a reaction i think i think most of the well, we were criticized by by lots of different groups. We were criticized by the Russian government, like you said, and and and, and Russian regime. We were criticized by Norwegians who felt we were being impolite with our Russian neighbors, uh, and we were criticized by a Russian minority in Norway who felt stigmatized. Uh, can I ask? Can I ask the Norwegians who thought you were being impolite? Were they criticizing before they'd even seen the program or after it was released? Um, I would say most of the criticism we've received happened before the yeah. people criticizing it had seen the, the had seen the show. Um, I guess I, I think those people that you described can actually see themselves portrayed somewhat in the story. <laughs> yes, but in in a, in Paris, I'm not complaining. I actually think it was great that we received all this criticism before the show was aired. It 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 uh, it gave us an, uh, the attention, you know, in 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 in, <laughs> in this saturated media uh, environment, you know. So it it's it it's it's not it it's just a phenomenon. I've, I've had it with some of my features as well, but maybe not to the same extent as 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 occupied. Um, the 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 Russian criticism it sort of created a. A kind of an aggressive environment by some Russians. I, I was, I and several were sort of were called lots of times by by people portraying themselves as journalists, Russian journalists, and I'm not totally convinced they were all of them. Some of them were for sure. Um, and my main thing is we took a lot of care into sort of humanizing the Russian characters in our series. And we uh, made uh, effort not to create this kind of um, cliches of, of, of Russian characters, which are very common in popular culture, it, Western popular it culture. Seem, it, seem, it seems to me it's very balanced. I mean, the same 
the parallel issues on both sides. The Norwegian government is trying to gain control while forces beyond their control are influencing things. And it's the same thing for the Russian ambassador. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't have a clear path. She's balancing influences from Moscow and everything else going on. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, it's not good and bad, black and white by any means. They're all definitely human characters. Can I ask you, you say, well, you know, you, you examine how people might react in this situation. Your decision to make the prime minister character rather naive at least in the onset mm. was that very deliberate was that why that choice for for the leader um it came with the premise that you know someone that norway which was part of the main id you need you need you you need an initiating action you know something which sets off the story and and in, in this story norway has stopped all oil and gas production for environmental reasons. Uh, we have selected a green government, and and uh, and part of, I'd say yes, it is naive, but it's also um, political fraction that says if you really care about the singular most important issue of 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 uh, modern civilization, which is the environment, uh, you have to do something radical, uh, and then and then deal with the consequences of it, rather than the other way around, because you'd be bogged down into pragmatism. Um, so that that's that, that's how we sort of started it off. Um, his, like any character in Occupied, he he. Um, I think it's it's almost. Uh, what does it take for you? To, what 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 what's the reason why you would eventually, if you are prepared to 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 seek resistance? It's it's and and our premise was more or less that well, you'd feel like you had nothing to lose. Uh, yes. Um, you have the head of the secret police's character expresses that perfectly with nothing to lose when she makes her decision. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like a premise, and 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 the prime minister is a character who goes through a lot and tries to sort of, um, he's he's an idealist who tries to turn pragmatic, but mm. but eventually start, but eventually, or we try to dramatize that he's that he's he is not sure what he gains from it. Uh, no, he's definitely. Going through some transitions now in season two, his character is definitely evolving. Yes, uh, season two, we we thought the characters are not, none of the characters are, are are naive in the same way. Which I, I guess naivety is is part of. It's always been portrayed by other parts of the world as as part of um, of Scandinavian culture. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it's it's also about the trust, <laughs> the trust you have in 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 the unwritten contract. You know that everyone is on the same ship, joining the same uh, project, which is our society, and and we have to trust each other to sort of get the maximum effect out of that. Um, but again, life imitating art, life imitating art, art imitating life. We are just erasing those boundaries that we see in the U.S., where shame no, doesn't matter anymore. That was one of the unwritten boundaries that used to keep politicians in check to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fascinating the parallels in the real world to the world that you guys have created. 
Well, and yeah. Occupied. I think that's what's kept me in it is, is this feeling that well, you Nespers ID certainly had. I don't know what kind of looking a crystal ball he has at home, but 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 you. Uh, even me, when I first read the ID, it didn't. I wasn't attracted to it because it felt, uh, it felt sort of um, like a like a social commentary with just waiting around the door. You know, I was I was attracted to the to to the more um, um, idea of it. You know, like this is fiction, this what if fictional premise. Uh, and the more we started working with it, it is when actually the reason I just thought this is a very bold idea when I first got attracted to it. And I thought that's why we have to make it feel so authentic because, uh, and we did, and again, we did lots of research with politicians, with army people, with sort of any kind of branch of, of, of society we entered we, just to try and sort of get a sense of what, what would they actually? What would actually happen? Uh, and and how how can we dramatize it? Um, Just out of curiosity, when you approach the military, for example, with this "what if" scenario, how how eager are they to talk to you about it? Is it something they're guarded about because it must be somewhere in their blueprints of possibilities, or is it something they want to talk openly about and speculate with you? They don't want to. Uh, the the army is um, they're a bit cautious when they approach us uh, for several reasons. They don't want to be seen as sort of contributing of officially to such a drama. Um, but you can talk to retired people within the army, recently retired people, you know, there's always ways to sort of get a sense of uh, of what uh, they think their common thinking would be, you know, or, 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 or so, so information is available if you pursue it. Um, most information, that is, of course, there are information that we never gain access to, and we, so we don't know. We have to be sort of guessing, uh, and uh, stuff I've googled. You know, I should, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's sort of. Um, I, I would, I'm probably at the risk of my profile. You know, if they were to investigate me, <laughs> it's probably sort of like sort of uh, close to sort of what terrorists would be googling because you know it's everything we the curiosity we've sort of put into so trying to figure out how does it this work it's been part of uh, of uh, the thrill of, of working on Occupied did you have any sort of influences out there that you looked at before you started on this I mean I see sort of I don't want to you know be trite about it but I see sort of elements of Tom Clancy type stories here are you looking at that kind of material before you get into Occupirat, or do you do blank slate and just go on your own? Um, when I get involved in the project, I don't look too much at specific uh, other projects because it it's sort of I don't know, it's it's just a sense that uh, I, I'm being more creative. Uh, by just trusting that whatever I like is going to seep into it some way or another. Uh, I was very, I was a, 
an admirer, like probably many people were, you know, of 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 the Voyeur, the the American series, which went was probably more than ten years ago now. It was yeah, it, it's it's fifteen years ago, purely because it 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 sort of managed to portray how different parts of society influenced each other. Uh, in in what seemed like an engage in, to me it was an engaging way you know so uh, uh, and 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 that that was an, uh, definitely an influence. Okay, so season one well received uh, critically, um, politically, and commercially. Season two is out now. Uh, in the interim, you changed backers. We're seeing season two on Via Play last year, I think, or last time around. I think Netflix had the rights to this. What happened there? Um, it's um, a market of um, who is willing to finance what we do in different regions. I still think Netflix will will distribute it in several continents like the states and from what i've been told but here in scandinavia it's via play uh who was willing to to um to finance us uh and um I think the first season was more of a it was what had a what what old school uh, financing in in a home territory which was a TV channel now we're with a sort of um streaming platform you know which is just a sign of the times and 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 that is exciting I think it's um uh, and what was was season 2 committed from the beginning or did it unfold during season 1 or after season 1 when was that decision taken Ultimately, it's taken when you know you have the finance. Um, in the in in my mind, it was it started to evolve in midway through first season. I felt like we were onto something, uh, and I remember speaking to the producers and 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 sort of saying, "Well, you know, there's going to be there could be several seasons." Uh, I was going to ask now when you, when you talk about story arc, then you don't see a conclusion at the end of season two. We'll have more room for the story to continue. Yes, it it's there is the possibility of of another season, but uh, to me, I think most likely that would be the final season. Then, um, again, you know, you don't know for sure before you before before uh, you know you you you're going to be financed and everything. It's it's. Uh, that, that must be difficult from a storytelling perspective to sort of what kind of an end you want to put on your season. Is it the finale of the entire project or is it just the pause for the moment? That must be a real challenge. It is a challenge which is different to, to making movies. There's lots of things I like about TV shows and freedoms they, they give you as a, as a creatively, you know. But um, the... How do you end a season, and when, and 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 what's the sort of overall composition dramatically? You know, is of course more challenging because you don't know for sure. I guess it depends on who on 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 who you're with and 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 how things are planned. You know, but um, but yes, it 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 has challenges. But I think. Um, it's 
not entirely new to me but if if i work on a on on a movie project there's always this risk it might not be made or we won't have the money to do it you have to think very differently so and and uh, my best answer to that is to try and sort of <laughs> um gain control by sort of saying well okay uh, if we have the opportunity we will make s- such many series uh, or, or seasons or whatever you know and 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 try and sort of think from that perspective and then if it isn't to be then then it isn't to be so then as a creator are you working on other projects at the same time do you have other things going on to fill the void if there is no season three? Yes, yeah, so um, yeah. currently, as we speak, you know, this season two has just been released. I'm sort of working on several ideas, uh, but it takes a while to to, to from an idea to, to and, and to see if it's actually going to work and all that. So, uh, uh, yes, I am. But when we're shooting a season, it's so time consuming to be a creator of of occupied that i don't really get time to to work on other stuff yeah the last thing you want to do is go home and start writing your next project i guess actually when i go oh, home you know you you do you, you, you write on whatever's going to be shot in a couple of days because there's always tweaks and there's always things which happen you 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 can't do this or whatever so um um it's not like a, a, a traditional work. I think any creator of a TV show will will, will say. So, so season two is live right now on Via Play. Uh, it starts out with a bang. I don't want to give too much more away than that. Um, your cast of characters return more or less intact mm-hmm. and continue on with their challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't tuned in, you should catch up right away. If uh, you haven't started watching season one, wow, I don't know what you been waiting for but that's there on via play as well it'll go to broadcast shortly in a few more months so that everyone can see it yes it's exclusive on via play uh, for i don't know how many months but up until christmas i think then there's a co-producer in france arte uh, Mm. who's a broadcaster and they will screen it early next year and after that it will go out to the rest of the world i think most countries have bought it uh around the world so it, it's it's definitely uh, going to be seen out there in the world which is a great feeling for, from our perspective um what's to say about season two it it's um we've um well Occupied is also a thriller. It needs to have that kind of um, mix, in my mind, of uh, of um, real life politics, engaging characters, and a sense of uh, you don't know what's going to happen um, next. So it 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 needs to have a certain pace to it, and uh, which we tried to maintain in the second season. It, it's quite similar to, in many ways, we just. We just feel like we, we've gotten better at it in second season. Um, I think there's a lot of plausible surprises. People make moves, you think it's checkmate, and then you realize, oh no, there's another dimension here that unfolds. It's, it's really, there's a great, great drama story going on. Well, thank you. Yeah, th- th- this is what we, I you always try and, I'm, I try and make things which I like myself, you know, and, and I, I kind of, um, I think, the audience especially the fans of occupied they they are, they are smart people they they want um, 
they've seen quite a lot you know they they uh, they easily forget things and and, uh, and i like this kind of state of sort of what's going to happen next and you're not you're not quite sure but when it happens it feels truthful to the character and and, and to the situation uh so it, we maintain that we we've also uh it's it's becoming more and more of an international conflict in uh, this occupation in in season two um yeah we're seeing we're seeing scenes set outside of norway more and more as well as a result yeah so so we, we see how europe gets involved you know um and i guess we play around with 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 uh, when you dramatize you have to simplify but we we play around with with the situation in Europe at the moment, mm-hmm. and 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 there's always like a, a political. In some ways, you know, we we comment on the on the political and 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 society, uh, political environment of the times, you know, and and how they influence people. And uh, I think you do it really well and subtly. For example, the in season one, the American ambassador, he, he doesn't have that much action, but somehow he portrays this American government that we can't trust right now without ever saying anything. It's, it's interesting how you do that with so many different characters and so many different levels. Well, what we do like with him and others, we would, we would think, well, we don't want to go to the old school, traditional sort of national idea of, of who you are. We, 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 that's what the science fiction element is, is interesting to us. You try and think, well, what, what would happen tomorrow? Uh, and we actually use our creative minds trying to sort of, what, what do we think and what would be funny about, well, funny and scary and all these things about, about tomorrow. And, and uh, well, in, in the first season, we sort of guessed, you know, the, well, America has become so protectionistic, they don't really care about NATO in the traditional sense anymore. And that was way before uh, Trump, you know. So, it, so it, it's um, sometimes, you know, when you do these things, we we don't do them because we think we're sure it's going to happen, but we just think, well, it could happen, <laughs> and and that's enough for us, in a sense. Uh, we're we're running out of time here. I've I've one quick sort of footnote question. In season two, one of the innovations that you guys introduce is an app a social app for protest. I won't really say too much more for people who haven't seen it, but where did you come up with the idea for that? Um, we were talking to, especially the French producers, we, we, we sort of quite open to, to, hear, to hear people's ideas, and they said, well, in, in France, there's a lot of young people protesting against the meaning of democracy and, and what, it, what it is to us. Uh, and they said... Aren't you interested in that? And he says, "Yeah, of course." But and then and then there's a mix of that and the feeling that well, last year Pokemon was 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 a hit. You know, my kids run around. Everyone is sort of involved in in this. I think the digital age is is just changing everything everything about our society in, in ways which. Uh, well, later on, it will it will it will be sort of named as one of the big sort of uh, change of society. So, and and that's it. It was a mix of uh, of uh, 
last year's protest in in Paris and France and and uh, and Pokemon, uh, which which got us started as uh, to to sort of thinking, well, how would the protest what would be effective in 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 this social media world which we live in, and 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 how can you? Um, how, how how can you voice your protest in a different way to just to marching well, in the streets? I'm waiting for someone to take that idea and run with it. I want to see that in the App Store. I thought that was very clever. Oh, among you. among so many other clever ideas that are happening there. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thanks a lot for joining us uh, once again. Occupirat, occupied, available right now on Via Play season two, about halfway done. So dial it up if you haven't done so yet. I'm Brian. This is Stream Close Up. And we'll be back again soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Stream Close-Up. I'm Brian Laffin. Once again, this podcast was produced by the great Jose Fernandez Alameda. And we are brought to you by the good people at I Like Radio who give us a lovely home. Uh, Please, if you made it this far, you must have found something that you like. So... Do us a favor. Give us a few stars on iTunes. Uh, rate us wherever you find your podcast. We really appreciate it. And once again, if you want to reach out, you can always find us on Twitter at Stream Up. We'll be back when we have something more to say. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.